0: show us what it means to stand firm and share our identity in Christ. I pray that you speak to each and every heart in this room. in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, again, hey guys, I'm Daniel. Uh, I'm here on staff Crew. Um, my wife, Missy, in the back. She hates that shout-up, but I love it. Um, <laughs> I love her. Um, and tonight we're continuing our series, uh, Stand Firm. We're going through the book of 1 Peter. Just a quick word of context. 1 Peter was a letter uh, written by Peter, uh, the first director of the church, and he was writing this letter in the beginning of of what historians call the first great persecution. Uh, The first 250 years of the church's history, of Christian history, uh, was wrought with persecution and martyrdom. The Roman Empire, uh, which is where the vast majority of what we call Christendom or Christian people, uh, where they were located, the vast majority of them, uh, for the first 250 years of Christian history, uh, basically uh, said that Christianity was illegal to practice. And so for the first 250 years of Christian history, thousands upon thousands of Christians uh, upon choosing that identity. Upon choosing the identity upon saying that they were going to be christians that they were going to follow christ they immediately lost all rights to their private property they were uh, had no protection from the government if someone accused them of something they had no one to represent them to defend them in that case and many of them were tortured uh, with the intention of getting them to recant to to end or to leave their identity as christians that they would be tortured and intermediately. Through the torturing process whatever that might look like the torture would stop and they would look at these christians and they would say do you recant that was the phrase that they would repeat do you recant will you give up your christian identity and they were faced with this reality of be tortured and even killed or leave your identity and we are here sitting in this room because the majority of them did not the majority of them clung, they stood firm to, they held on to their Christian identity even more than their lives. That's why you and I have this message in this room. And Peter, the first director, uh, Catholics we call him the Pope, the first Pope, the first head of the church, was writing this letter to his brothers and sisters, his fellow Christians scattered throughout the Roman Empire, and saying, this is how you stand firm. This is how you cling to a Christian identity in the midst of a world, in the midst of a culture, in the midst of a climate, surrounded by people that are trying to strip that identity from you, and where if you cling to that identity, it might cost you physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And this is what we're diving into for the Christians in the room, which I know the majority of y'all are in this room are Christians. This is what we're diving into in, in, these, in these five talks. We're diving into how do you cling to a Christian identity in a culture, in a context, in a world that is actively trying to strip it from you? How do you cling to your identity in a, as a Christian, your Christian identity, your identity in Christ, even when it might cost you physically, mentally, spiritually, or emotionally? How do you do that? We've been going through that. And tonight we're diving into First Peter chapter 3. We're diving into the third chapter. And, and there's a theme uh, in, in, in 1 Peter 3. Peter kind of hits, hits his stride and he focuses in, in this passage on one thing. There's one central theme behind all of this chapter. And it's this old Greek word, this ancient Greek word called Huangelion. Huangeleon, sounds fun. It's fun to say. It translates, to some, it translates to something most of us are terrified of. It translates to the word evangelism. The theme of tonight, if you want to know, is how do I cling to my Christian identity? How do I share my Christian identity? In the midst of a culture, in the midst of a climate, in the midst of a world that's actively trying to strip it from me. How do you cling, or worse, share your Christian identity? when it might cost you. That's what we're diving into tonight. Now before we actually dive in, there's one little caveat I wanna give. i mentioned this before, most of the people in this room are Christians. But if you're not, to those of you in this room who are not Christians, I wanna give to y'all an invitation. We've entered into a really cool moment in our cultural climate where we've actually started to realize something. You don't really have the right to speak into someone's story. You don't have, really have the capacity to engage someone. Until you know their narrative in their own words. Tonight, as we're going into this, to those of you who aren't Christians, I want to invite you to see through a Christian's eyes in their own words and to share the experience of what it's like for us to cling to our Christian identity in a world that's often very hostile for us. That's my invitation for you tonight if you are not following Christ. But if you are... We're about to dive into How do I share my identity in Christ, even when it might cost me? And uh, for those of you, some of of you guys like notes. Some of you guys, you know, are note-takers. I uh, see all the journals on this front row. I love it. Um, Okay. Uh, For those of you who like to take notes, this is how Peter organizes this passage. just want to put it up there. First, he talks about who. Who amongst Christianity can share their faith? Then he talks about how we actually share our faith. He talks about the means or the process of sharing our faith and then he finally finishes with the actual message what is the message of evangelism what is the message we share what do we mean when we share, say share our christianity this is where we're going for this you want order, this is this is where we're going for this you like chaos, hey, hold on it's gonna get fun um all right with that let's dive in we're in first peter chapter three we're starting right at the first verse first peter chapter three verse one we're going to start the verses are going to be up there Ooh, that's a tiny print so Hang in, guys. Okay. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won. That phrase is very important. They may be won without words by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, or the putting on of gold or jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adornment be the hidden person of the heart, With undying beauty of a gentle and silent spirit, which in God's sight is absolutely precious. For this is how the holy woman who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting, that word's important, submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah, that name is also very important. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children. If you do good and fear nothing, however terrifying it. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives with understanding. Show honor to women, if they're the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you with the grace of of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Okay, some of you guys heard this passage and you immediately started to cringe. I'll confess, the first time I heard this passage, my wife and I cringed. But I want you guys to see what Peter's actually saying in the context and to the people he was writing this to. Because as strange as this sounds, and feminists in the room, bear with me when I say this. As strange as this sounds, this message, when Peter sent this letter out to the churches, the women in in his churches that he was sending this out to had never been more empowered than this moment. This was the most empowering message they had ever heard. Let me explain. In the context that Peter was writing this is about 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago in the Roman Empire, women were not considered worthy of anything. They were not citizens. They had no political rights. They had no voice anywhere. They had no place. They were seen as nothing. In fact, specifically, he, he highlights the wives in his context. Wives were seen as nothing more than a possession of their husband for his pleasure. And it's to these women that he says a couple of things. Look at how he begins. He says this, wives, you can win them. He looks at the people in the room, the demographic in the room, that everyone, that for their entire lives, every one of them had heard their entire lives, you were nothing more than a possession of your husband. And he tells them, those husbands that think that they own you, you can. You can change their lives. You can win them. Now. He doesn't stop there. He tells them how. He says, two ways. First and foremost, he says, don't adorn yourself with gold. Don't distract from you who you are. He says, your adornment, when you know what to show off, he says, the part of you I want to show off is your heart. God wants you to show off your soul because you're more than just an object of your pleasure. don't hide who you are, own it. And specifically, I I wanna be really careful when I say that, but he says to those of you who are in Christ, this was the message to the women of Christ in the ancient world, who you are in Christ, that's what you show off. God doesn't need you to follow the culture, show off what he's done in your life. And then he says this word, and we hear it and we get really scared But he says this over and over again. He tells them, submit, submit, submit. And we hear that and we think slavery. But catch this submission implies a choice. He tells these women, who their entire lives have been told that they're worthless, you can win the world for Christ. You have the power to change the culture, you have the power to move mountains in Christ. You don't hide who you are, if you don't give up, if you don't just go along with it, if you don't run away, but if you choose to, this word again, submit. Submission implies a choice to serve, to fight for, to care for the very people who oppress you. So the women you can win them. If you don't hide what he's doing in gives them a principle and what we call a commendation. The principle he tells them is this, hey, if you're actually the stronger vessel, it will be marked by how you serve. He says, when you live, live with this word, We he translate understanding, but it literally means to feel what they feel, to see what they see, to hold what they hold. He tells the men, these husbands, hey, the culture has told you that you are the strong ones. Then live like it. Strength in Christ is not about how much you overcome other people, it's about how much you champion them. He says, if you're really the stronger ones, if the culture tells you that you're really stronger, it will be marked by how you lift them up, by how you see when they're unseen, by how you fight when they're not fought for. That is what it means, he says, to be a man in this culture be someone powerful that the culture has, like, raised up if you're doing this for Christ. And then he gives them what we call a commendation. A commendation is an encouragement with a warning. He reminds them that while the culture sees men and women as weak and strong, God sees them as equal heirs. He says, the world looks at you guys a certain way, the world looks at them a certain way, but God looks at you as his children, all of you. And then he warns them. He gives them this warning, this encouraging warning. He says, remember this so that your prayers will not be hindered. And we like to skip over that part. so we don't really understand what that word hindered means. Hindered literally means to be chopped off. Like a tree being chopped down. Like something that loses its head. It's dead. It's worthless. He warns the men. He warns those with power. He warns those with influence. He warns those who everyone just assumes has it together. If you are not championing those in your family of Christ, who people do not see, who people do not fight for, your prayers. your connection to God is dead. This is how Peter frames who does evangelism. He frames it by looking at the least cared for, and the most cared for people in his context. And he says, whether you are the lowest of the low, whether the world has told you you are powerless, or whether everyone looks at you and just assumes you are powerful because of what you are, you are called to share your faith. And then he warns those who have, I'm just going to take a moment to dwell on this, because some of you in this room are the haves in your culture, and your context here at YouTube. Some of y'all have influence. You won the election in your Greek house. You've got the position on the campus. You you are popular, people like you. And to those of you with power, to those of you that the culture and context of your day has said you have, this is the commendation. If you're really strong, if you're really that smart, if you're really that wonderful, it will be marked by the way you champion people everyone else forgets some of you in this room have been told you can't share your faith or that it won't even matter if you do you've been rejected you've been neglected bullied you lost that election you didn't get that position and there's this question of can I share my identity in Christ does it even matter what I do or what I say, and I want you to hear this. Hear what Peter told the women of his context. You can win them. Don't hide what he's doing in your heart. Don't run away. Don't just go along with it, but submit. Fight for verse 9. Don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but instead bless. Okay, I'm going to repeat that word. This it's important. Bless, for to this you are called, that you may obtain the blessing. He says this, bless because or that you may obtain a blessing. When he says this, uh, Peter is referencing uh, this guy named Abraham. Okay, Abraham is the great Patriarch of faith, he was the first uh, father of those who followed God, right? And and when Abraham was called by God, he he actually did this crazy thing. God called him and he said, hey, Abraham, the way I'm calling you, what I'm calling you to do, the way I'm going to call you to change the world, I'm going to bless you that you would be a blessing. I'm going to say that again. I'm going to bless you that you may be a blessing. We cheapen that word in our culture nowadays. To be blessed especially in like a spiritual sense is to be filled up overflowing with supernatural power to be filled up with god to the point where it comes out the image that goes along with that is like a cup and you're just pouring water into it until it overflows out it's like a river that's gushing and when the rains come it just floods over it's like a dam that, when you keep filling it with water, breaks it and just bursts out. That is what it means to be blessed, and this is what God says He wants to do in us. This is how He says you will reach the world. This is how we do evangelism. We receive God's stuff, His goodness, His power, His authority, His love until it gushes out of us. Until every single person who encounters us encounters Jesus. Are you filling yourself up with Jesus so much that every single person who meets you, meets him? The ancient church at the time that Peter was writing this had a greeting. Every single time you met a Christian, they would begin their meeting with this, even if you weren't a Christian. If they were safe around you if they didn't think they'd get caught they would greet you this way they'd say grace and peace to you the full greeting if they had time or if they were safe to say it they would say grace and peace of our lord jesus christ and god our father be upon you and it's interesting it wasn't a prayer for the person it was a prayer for themselves and a promise to that person they were praying in that moment and saying My prayer in our interaction is that you experience God's grace and God's peace. Grace is an undeserved gift. The way the ancient Christians said that they should do what should happen when anyone encounters them is that they should come out saying, I did not deserve the way you treated me. When people encounter us, are we so filled with Jesus that our treatment of them? makes them aware of how much God loves them to the point that they don't even deserve it. They said grace and peace. Peace. The Hebrew word, the Aramaic word is shalom. It means wholeness, wellness, healing. When people come out of a conversation with us, if you're a Christian in this room, this is how you do evangelism. Fill yourself up with Jesus so much that when they come out of an encounter with they are healed because they met Jesus. That is how you do evangelism. Nothing else will do. You have to be blessed to the point you can be a blessing. So the question we're left with, how do you share your identity with Christ? How do you cling to that? How do you stand firm in evangelism? Well, you have to be filling yourself up with God's word so much that the thoughts that just naturally come out of you when you talk to God. The ideas that come out of you are God's thoughts. You have to be filling yourself up in prayer with the presence of God so much that the emotional and spiritual presence you bring into the room is the Holy Spirit. You have to be allowing yourself to be in Christian community, even a perfect Christian community, so much so that the life that people encounter is Christ's, not just yours. That's how you do it. You receive blessings to the point that you are one. To every person you encounter. But he doesn't stop there, Peter keeps going. He then shares the means, the means of evangelism. This is in verse 14, we're starting in verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed, and there it is again. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ as Lord, for he's holy, Always be prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. Peter dives in, and he says, hey, this is the means, this is the process of evangelism. And he begins by saying this. It's really cool. He acknowledges this four times. He says, don't be afraid. a lot of us in this room, when we talk about evangelism, we get scared, we get nervous, start to to get the ship's legs. It's scary. And God acknowledges that in His Word. Peter owns that. you can be terrified sharing our faith. But there's a challenge. There's a litmus test that Peter gives us. He says this, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord, as holy, as set apart as special. And then he says this is kind of the litmus test whether God really is, especially in your heart, he says, you should always be prepared. That word is excited. That word literally could translate to, to just over, like looking for the chance. Always be looking for the chance to share with someone the reason for the hope that you have. But do so with generous respect. This is the litmus test. People talk about what they love. We call it praise. People talk about who and what they love. I, this is not meant to sound condemning, but it is a terrifyingly beautiful truth. If you love Jesus, that much you will share him. There's a question where Peter leaves us with, do you love Jesus enough to share him with other people, no matter how terrifying it might be? No matter how uncomfortable, no matter how awkward, no matter how inopportunity the opportunity might be. If there's an opportunity there, do you love Jesus enough to share him? Because that is the only means by which you will do evangelism. Every training, we do a lot of training here in crew. We do a lot of evangelism methods. We create a lot of opportunities. At the end of the day, students, I just want you all to hear this. Uh, nothing is going to make you love Jesus enough to share him except for loving Jesus enough to share. That's it. Do you love Jesus enough to share him? To get excited, even if it's awkward, even if it's confusing, even if you're afraid, even if it might cost you something. Because that's the only means by which you can do evangelism. That's the only way to stand firm and share your faith. Then he gives a caveat. I don't want us to miss this caveat. at He says, do it with gentleness and respect and in good conscience. Always acknowledge the person that you're sharing with. Always acknowledge the person you're sharing with. Two points. Do you love Jesus enough to share him? And when you're sharing with him, do you remember that you're talking to one of his children? But he doesn't leave us there. Peter keeps going. He actually, shares the message of evangelism, the good news that we share. I want y'all just to hear this in Peter's words, inspired by the Holy Spirit. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous one for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went. That we're in prison. This is the gospel. This is why we can't stop talking about Jesus. This is why we cling to our identity in Christ. But God was not content with that. So Jesus came and died, the Righteous One for us, that we would be free. This is the message. Cling to our identity in Christ, even when it costs us. It means to cling to our call to share. Whether you're high or whether you're low, whether the world has told you that you're awesome, you have to go down to empower those the world's forgotten. Or whether it's raised you, uh, whether it's raised you up or whether it's brought you low. You're being called to serve the very people who are hurting you. Sorry, guys. It's the how by receiving so much of Jesus. By holding on to him so much and receiving so much of his that it flows out from the image of you every single person that encounters you that they encounter grace and peace just for knowing you. It is done when we love Jesus so much that no matter how much we fear that we love him more, we just can't help but share him. Because the good news is that he has set you free Free open place and space for worship and for prayer. Tonight, if that prison has been real for you in any way, shape, or form, we want you to experience the gospel. Not just to know it, not just to hear it, but to experience it. My encouragement to y'all, please just let someone in and let Jesus in to that process. We want to enter into that with you. He has set you free. So if you're not experiencing that, that is his invitation. But again, this is what it means to stand firm and to share your identity in Christ. Because he set me free. Let me for Jesus. Jesus. who have felt uh, like, we're able, like we're able to bless and fill this room so much that we would be empowered to go out from here sharing you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that as we do it, we would do it loving you, like the overflow of love for you with gentleness and respect for your children. We just pray all this in your name, Lord. Amen.